Brendan, and let's pray over them before they go. And Jeremy, y'all have a blessed night. And how many of you appreciated Jeremy's class back there with the Marys? Amen. Let's pray over them. Father, bless the fine and the rock and bless the Marys class with Jeremy and with Ronnie. And Lord, we just thank you for it. We thank you for the touch of the Spirit of God on all that is done tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you too. And everybody go on to Finding the Rock and to the, and the rest of y'all don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. I know I have you standing a lot. We, we're going to keep you in shape around here. We want to just pray over this shepherd psalm because this is such a powerful, uh, I love this series. I've taught it before, but I've added some things to this one. Uh, the Shepherd's Psalm. We're going to do a verse a week. And you say, well, Pastor, how are you going to spend an hour on a verse? Let me shock you. I could spend two Wednesdays on one verse. I hear a phone. Y'all better turn your cell phones off because I really am going to walk down and answer one one time. Say, hello. This is Pastor Jeff. I'm preaching. Can I help you? I'm kidding. I'm kidding, sort of. Uh, turn them off, and uh, let's, let's pray. Uh, and God's going to bless us in the shepherd's psalm. Lord, we just thank you right now for the blessing of God on this shepherd's psalm. Lord, the king of psalms, Psalms 23, we pray, Lord, that you will make our walk with the shepherd more real than ever. Lord, we long to know you. We long to walk with you. We long, Lord, to draw near. We want to know you better. We want to walk with you better. We want to fellowship with you more, Lord. We want you to make yourself real to us tonight, Lord, in a way and through this psalm in the next six weeks in a way we've never known. I pray that our walk will be deepened, widened, and, Lord, we will emerge on the other side of this series with a, with a walk with the shepherd that we've never experienced before. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart and increase my walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to happen. God heard that. We're going to walk with the Lord better than we ever have. I love walking with the Lord. I really do. It's not that it's not without warfare. It is with warfare. But I love Jesus. I don't love him perfectly, but I love him sincerely. And let's look now at the shepherd's psalm. And this is part one. We're going to deal with the first verse. And like I said, I could take two weeks on every verse because each verse has two aspects to it. But we're going to do uh, two every Wednesday night, six verses, then we'll be done. But let's look now at the 23rd Psalm. And by the way, we do have the notes if you want them. You can get them back there every week so that when we're done, uh, you'll have a little pamphlet pretty much on the 23rd Psalm that you can go back to. I type all this out. I work a lot on it. And I do it so that you can be fed. I want, I want the sheep of this flock to be happy. So in light of that and what we're about to teach, everybody say, bah, I want happy sheep. Now, let's look here. The 23rd Psalm, undoubtedly, is the most universal scripture known. You can't ask anybody, virtually anywhere in America, have you never not heard? Have you never heard 23rd Psalm? It's going to be rare that you find somebody that's never heard this psalm. 
It's the most universal scripture known. It's loved in all lands. Author Erling Olson writes, quote, Strictly speaking, the 22nd, the 23rd, and the 24th Psalms form an inseparable trinity. They go together. So how, Pastor Jeff? Here's how. These three psalms present the Lord Jesus in a striking manner. In the 22nd Psalm, he's the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Remember the 22nd Psalm? They have pierced my hands and my feet. Dogs have compassed me. And so on and so forth. The 22nd Psalm vividly, graphically describes a crucifixion before there was such an instrument of torture and death. In the 23rd Psalm, he's the great shepherd. And then in the 20, who, who in resurrection glory leads his sheep. And then in the 24th Psalm, he's the chief shepherd who is to return in glory. So remember that now. In the 22nd Psalm, uh, he's the good shepherd giving his life in crucifixion. In the 23rd Psalm, he's the good shepherd leading his sheep. And in the 24th Psalm, he's the chief shepherd who is soon going to return in glory. So you have a, a, a beautiful trilogy there in 22, 23, and 24, those psalms. Now, most of us can testify that we have known the 23rd Psalm from early childhood. Philip Keller, in his masterpiece, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, and that book I draw from heavily in this series. It is an incredible book uh, because Philip Keller used to be a shepherd, was a real shepherd, and he gives an angle to it that's beautiful. So if you ever want to grab that book, it's certainly worth getting. But here's what he says in that book. The 23rd Psalm is the universal psalm, the pearl of psalms, the chief psalm. In fact, one can go on exhausting adjectives in an attempt to express its great, great message. And still he would only have touched the fringe of its contents. Yet it is a psalm of only six verses. And we will see the 23rd Psalm is not just a psalm to die by, because virtually any funeral you go to, somebody quotes the 23rd Psalm. But the 23rd Psalm is a psalm to live by. It lays out perfectly the care of the chief shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we journey with him through life. It's going to give us insights into our walk with God that are so powerful and so life-changing that uh, it really will affect you for the rest of your life. The 23rd Psalm is thought to have been written by David near the end of his life, though this can't be proven. No doubt, much of the striking sheep-shepherd imagery comes from David's own intimate knowledge of caring for sheep, which was his task as a young man before God called him to be the king of Israel. God taught him with sheep before he let him shepherd people. Now, F.B. Meyer, in his classic book, The Shepherd's Psalm, writes these words, quote, Come hither, weary ones, restless ones, heavy-laden heavy ones. Sit down in this cool and calm resort, while the music of its rhythm charms away the thoughts that break your peace. How safe and blessed are you to whom the Lord is shepherd." So, blessed children of God, let's begin our journey with the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's read verse 1 together, can we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Amen. Well, who is the shepherd? David says, our shepherd is the Lord. Not everybody has a shepherd. In fact, unless the Lord God is invited into our life in the person of Jesus Christ, we are shepherdless. We have no shepherd. And what a bad, bad place to be because then you're left to your own devices. And how many of you know you don't lead you to a good place if left to yourself? All right, now, one day Jesus looked at a crowd of people following him and his heart was moved with compassion for them. And why was it moved with compassion? Well, the Bible tells us why. Matthew 9, 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart broke for them. Jesus called himself the bread of life. He called himself the light of the world. And he also called himself the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus saw every person as a sheep. But the crowd he hurt for had no shepherd. Only those that belong to him are sheep having a shepherd. David almost seems to brag that the shepherd to which he refers is his shepherd. So, you know, I'd like to, just, to quote the first verse again and say, my shepherd, like, you're proud, he's yours. Can we try it again? The Lord is my shepherd. Turn to your neighbor and do it again. Say, I'm going to brag on Jesus a minute. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm proud that he's my shepherd. Amen? What a great shepherd Jesus is. Now, one day Jesus described himself as the good shepherd in John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does this. He lays down his life for the sheep. He'll risk his life like David did when the lion and the bear attacked his flock. It says, David moved toward them in faith and by faith grabbed the lion by the beard by, and pulled him down and broke his neck under the anointing of God, risked his life for the sheep. David was a type of Christ. Jesus laid his life down to grab the lion called Satan by the beard, pull him down, and he broke his neck to save our life. He's the good shepherd. But then again, think about it. How much do we really know about him when it comes to his shepherding? Jesus as the shepherd. The fact that so many want nothing to do with allowing him leadership and authority in their lives is because I believe, I'm convinced, they don't really understand who it is we're dealing with. I'll tell you what the church needs today. And listen, I've pastored 27 years I study a lot. I read a lot. I pray a lot. I watch things a lot. And I'm going to tell you what the church needs. We need to be baptized in a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. Church is hurting for that. Church is anemic because we don't understand who it is who saved us, raised us from the dead, filled us with his spirit and is shepherding us every day, guiding us safely to the pearly gates. We don't know who it is we're following. Let's take a look at it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was directly responsible for the creation of all things, both natural and supernatural. So he wasn't just a first century hippie type with long blonde hair and blue eyes and a beard who looked like a Gentile walking around in sandals saying cool things. 
No, no. God invaded the world in the person of Christ when we say the Lord is my shepherd. Look what we're saying. The Lord, God, is my shepherd. So when you come to Jesus Christ, you're coming to God wrapped in skin. We're about to be looking at that a lot as Christmas approaches. God wrapped in skin. God visited, invaded planet Earth, a war zone where the human race was doomed and he died. He grabbed the devil by the beard, pulled him down, broke his neck to deliver us from death, hell, and the grave. He's our shepherd, but he's God. For by him, John said, or I'm sorry, Colossians 1.19, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, for by him all things were created. Stop and think about that. Stop and pause and see law that one. By Jesus, who we just worshipped, all things were created. Things in heaven, things in or on earth, what you can see, visible. What you cannot see, the invisible, the spirit world. Whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things, read this last part with me, were created by Him and why? For Him. Ooh. Paul goes on to say in Colossians that by His Word, the atoms are held together. If He spoke, the atomic particles would fly apart and there would be no more universe. We serve a mighty Christ. You're not, you, you can't fool with Jesus. He's God. And he created everything. So you look at the beauty of the creation. Look at the magnificence of the created world, the created order, the birds, the animals, the incredible variety in everything, the plant world, the animal world, the fishes of the sea, the oceans, the, the, the elements, everything. Look at the magnificence. You can't even begin to grasp it. If you live, live to be a million, it flowed out of the mind and the hands of Christ. John opens his gospel in agreement with what we just read. John says in 1 verse 3, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Not one thing came into being without Jesus Christ. Can't say that about Buddha. Can't say that about Muhammad. Can't say that about Confucius. Can't say, you can't, listen, Jesus is not even in the same stratosphere. He is the one and only, the King of kings. I could almost preach. The Lord of lords. He is very God. God the Father is God the author. Now here's the way the creation worked. God the Father is God the author, the originator of all that exists. It was in his mind first that all took shape. All right? God the Son, our Savior, is God the artisan, the artist, the creator of all that exists. He brought into being all that had been originally formulated in His Father's mind. God thought it. The Son brought it. God thought it. The Son brought it. God the Holy Spirit is God the agent 
who presents these facts to both my mind and my spiritual understanding so that they become both real and relative to me as an individual. That is, I would never understand these things apart from the Holy Spirit. So you can be brilliant and remain in abject darkness. Somebody is listening to me right now. You're very bright. Your IQ is high. You've accomplished a lot intellectually. But sir and ma'am, listen carefully to me. You can be brilliant intellectually and still be in the dark. You will never arrive at spiritual truth apart from the Holy Spirit reaching you. Because these truths that we're talking about tonight, Paul said in Corinthians, are spiritually discerned. You can't know them in the natural. All right, Jesus said of the coming of the Holy Spirit, when the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, what's he going to do? The Holy Spirit will testify about me. Very powerful. The beautiful, incredible relationships given to us repeatedly in Scripture between God and man are those of a father to his children and a shepherd to his sheep. So when the striking, comforting statement is made that the Lord is my shepherd, it immediately implies a profound yet practical relationship between a human being and his maker. Walking with God is not some mystical booty-waddy, booty-waddy, hama-hama-hama thing. It's very practical. God can tell you where you lost your keys. I know, because it happened to me. It's, it's practical. Our God is, a, He made us this way. Walking with God is not something only deep mystics can do. He made it available to every one of His children. Now watch this. The very thought of the Lord as our shepherd informs us of how important we are to Him as individuals. We're important. Remember, Jesus once talked of a flock of 100 sheep where one strays away. What did the shepherd do? He hastily leaves all the others in search of that one. One individual straying sheep brought on a divine search party. And I tell you, in these last days, the search party is on. God is going into every nook and cranny. He's going into bars. He's going into places of sin. He is reaching out to to many of his sheep who have strayed and said, Buddy, time for you to get home, child. Time is short. David knew from firsthand experience that the, the lot in life of any particular sheep depended on the type of man who owned it. Now listen carefully. Now we're going to get real practical. What is our shepherd like? You know how you can tell what the real shepherd is like? Look at the sheep. That's why I say I want happy sheep. I want you all to leave on Sunday morning with a smile on your face. When you go into the restaurant, smiling, beaming, because you just got blessed. And they say, why are you so happy? You say, well, because I've got a wonderful shepherd. I'm walking with Jesus, and he takes good care of me. If you're all depressed and whiny and all of these things, then listen, don't go tell him you were here. Because you know how good a shepherd is by the sheep. So what kind of a man or what kind of a shepherd have we got? Well, here's Philip Keller talking about his uh, experience with shepherds and he says some men were gentle kind intelligent brave and selfless in their devotion to their flock 
But under another man, the sheep would struggle, they would starve, and they would suffer endless hardship. And you could take one look at those latter, that, those, that latter group, and say, well, that tells me a lot about their shepherd. He's not a good one. But I'll look at the first ones. If they're well-fed and happy and they seem content, then they've got a good shepherd. Folks, you've got a good shepherd. Now, Jesus identified himself as the good shepherd who laid down his very life for the good of the sheep. But boy, it is abundantly clear that most people refuse to acknowledge this. They deliberately attempt to, to deny that such a relationship even exists or could exist between a man and his maker. And I feel sorry for them. I really do. Because they never know the love of God poured out in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. They are repulsed by the very idea that anybody could claim ownership or authority over them. Yet the shepherd, through and by his amazing grace, has taken the step of attempting to restore our relationship with him through the laying down of his life on the cross. That's the first sign that we had a good shepherd, a real shepherd. At Calvary, Jesus the shepherd absorbed the penalty for our perverseness, rebellion, and stubbornness. And using shepherd sheep pictures, the prophet Isaiah wrote this about you and me. All we like what? Sheep have done what? Gone astray. How many of us? All. And we have turned how many? Everyone to his what way? Own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah said, the people he died for were like sheep, and they had gone their own way. And when they went their own way, they got into big trouble. And he laid down his life for you and me. Now, one real shepherd writes of his experience with sheep. He says, quote, the day I brought or bought my first 30 sheep, my neighbor uh, and I sat down on the dusty corral rails that enclosed the sheep pens and admired the choice strong, well-bred lambs that had become mine. And turning to me, he handed me a large, sharp killing knife and remarked tersely, Well, Philip, they're yours. Now you'll have to put your mark on them. I knew exactly what he meant. Each sheep man has his own distinctive earmark, uh, which he cuts into one or other of the ears of his sheep. In this way, even at a distance, it's easy to determine to whom the sheep belongs because there's a mark on their ear. Now, let me tell you something. Your shepherd has marked you. And instead of a knife where he marked your ear, he used the cross. And you're marked. In the same way our shepherd has placed his mark on us, the Bible says, quote, having believed, you were, say it with me, church, marked. In him, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13. When you became his, he marked you. He marked you with the Holy Ghost. Nobody has that mark but those who are the sheep of the great shepherd. And when you become Jesus, when you become his, he immediately marks you. He puts his spirit inside of you, marked Signed, sealed, and delivered. No longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Not only did our good shepherd mark us with the seal of the Holy Spirit, but we were also marked by the cross. If any man would be my disciple, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
You and I are marked in, in this. We have a shepherd. We're not on, on our own anymore. We're not going astray out there going where we want to go anymore. We go where he wants us to go. We graze where he wants us to graze. We live where he wants us to live. Where he goes, we go. Where he stops, we stop. He's our shepherd. We're no longer our own. And the cross every day marks us. In the hour of temptation, you pick up your cross and say, no, I'm following Jesus. In the hour of your strong will, when you want to go do something he doesn't want you to do, you pick up that cross and say, not my will, but yours be done. We're marked by the cross and we're marked by the Holy Spirit. Powerful stuff. Now, it says, uh, well, I don't know what happened there. I went all the way back, Judy. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Everybody say, praise God. Yeah. Keep on going. Okay, everybody say, praise the Lord. Yeah. Keep going. We're about to get there. Amen. Oh, well, there went. Now, go back, because we didn't see those marked sheep last time. There you go. So there you go. See those ears? Say, that's me. All right. All right, I'm going to move ahead. Everybody say, praise the Lord. I don't know how that happened. Um, okay, now we're where we were. Pick up our cross daily and follow him. Give the Lord a hand. We found it. See, the shepherd led us every step of the way. Now, this basically amounts to a person exchanging the irresponsible life of living by sheer whimsy for the more productive and satisfying adventure of being guided by God. Now, a good question to ask at this point is this, and I want all of us to ask this question. Do I really belong to him? Do I really? Second question. Do I really recognize his right to me? Do you recognize that? That you're not your own? Here's another question. Do I respond to his authority? And do I acknowledge his ownership? When he says, don't, do I pull back? When he says, go, do I go? When he says, I want you to do this, do I do it? Do I respond to his authority, or am I basically looking for a quick ticket to heaven, should I die? Because Jesus wants to be our shepherd 24-7, 365 days a year. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not a once-in-a-while thing. It's not an Easter thing or a Christmas thing. It's a life thing. How about this question? Do I sense a purpose and deep contentment because I'm under his direction? Do you feel that way about Jesus? Amen? Do you? Think about those questions because the church is full of people who don't recognize his authority, who don't understand that he owns them, who don't follow him on a daily basis. And I would love to see... No condemnation from me. I just want to see us move from churchianity 
to true, genuine New Testament Christianity. And that is where He's daily our shepherd. And He's guiding us. Now next, David proudly exclaims this. Say it with me, everybody. I shall not want. Wow. Now the word want has a broader meaning than one might think at first glance. No doubt it does refer to the concept of not lacking, of having enough in terms of proper care and management. It does point to that. But a second meaning is that of being so content in the good shepherd's care that that's enough. I shall not want. Why? Because he's enough for me. In another place, David said, I'm going to be content when I awake with your likeness. If I know you're there, Lord, that's enough for me. There is a lack of craving or of desiring anything more on the part of somebody who's really fellowshipping with the shepherd. Now, this passage is certainly not telling us the child of God will never have a want. When he says, I shall not want, that does not mean you're never going to have a want or, or a lack or a need. You will. Because you're a human being and you're alive on earth. David himself, when you look at his life, had been taunted, stalked, and hounded for an entire decade by the insane King Saul. And when this was all going on, was God his shepherd? Oh yeah, that's where a lot of the Psalms came from. During that time of being stalked by Saul, he experienced deep personal poverty, acute hardship, and anguish of spirit. And you know what? I, for one, am thankful for that experience of his because I feed on the psalms that came out of that time. But during that time, when God was his shepherd, did he have a want? Did he have needs? Did he have lacks? Yes. So when he says, I shall not want, he doesn't mean I'll never have a want if he's my shepherd. When Jesus was among us, he warned us that in this world, we would have tribulation. Not maybe, not if, but we would. How many of you can testify, I've had a little bit of tribulation in this world? Amen? And there's more coming. But guess what? Fear not, for he has overcome the world. Now, one of the unfortunate Christian myths floating around the body of Christ today is that if one's faith is at a certain level, he or she will never experience lack. Now listen carefully to your pastor. That's not true. Well, that's not what I've heard. Well, you heard wrong. I've been around too long. Because you have a lack or a need is not a reflection on your faith. This is simply not true. And Scripture abundantly testifies to this. When you got saved, God didn't say you're never going to have a need, never going to lack. If your faith is good, you're always going to have everything you want, be wealthy, have two cars in the garage, a Mercedes and a Rolls and all. God never said that. Some of the greatest saints in all the history of the church had great lack, hurt, suffered times of great hunger and poverty and difficulty. Well, let's just look at it. Hebrews 11, the famous faith chapter focuses half of its content on mighty men and women of faith who, quote, were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. I read today in my devotional 
The Apostle Paul, I think he had faith. If he didn't have faith, let's close the doors and go home and forget it. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But I read today about where they put him when he was in 2 Timothy, writing to Timothy, and he had gone to Rome. He had finally made it to Rome, and it was his last visit, his last rodeo. And they arrested him. And they tied ropes around his armpits. And they opened up a hatch door. And the steps up to the prison where they put him were called the steps of despair. This prison was feared by everyone in Rome. Nero, the mad tyrant, was in charge. They tied ropes around his armpits and lowered him into a hole. Then he took those robes off and they pulled them back up and they closed that door into total darkness like those miners experienced. And somewhere down the road, someone allowed him enough light to write. And he writes his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, Timothy, it's almost over for me. You know what he had when he died? Virtually nothing. A cloak, a few books, parchments, probably his, his cherished Old Testament scriptures. And that was it. But he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. But he died with virtually nothing. But Jesus died with even less. I'm not saying God's a God of poverty, but what I am saying is you, you, you've got to understand that when you're walking in faith, sometimes your reward is peace and joy, period. And sometimes you've got to make a decision that is not easy to make. Look at these people. They were tortured. Paul was tortured, refused to be released. When he said to Timothy, I finished my course, kept the faith, and so on and so forth, the axe man's hatchet, the shadow of it, was darkening over his life. Soon his head would roll. He refused to be released, refused to recant, so that he might gain a better resurrection. Some face jeers and flogging, he goes on to say in Hebrews 11. These are people of faith. While still others were chained and put in prison like Paul. They were stoned like Stephen. They were sawed in two. That's Isaiah. Isaiah was sawed in half. The prophet you read, sawed in half. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Then it goes on to say, these were all, read it with me, commended for their faith. Wow. Having faith does not exempt one from suffering, from times of lack and need or tribulation. And what does David mean when he says, I shall not want? He was stating that even in a difficult world filled with temptation, problems, challenges, tears, and troubles, my shepherd's care for me will be so sufficient 
His love so rich, his peace so great, that he will be enough. I shall not want. That's what he was saying. In the world of real shepherding and sheep, it all comes down to the quality of the shepherd. One lifelong shepherd wrote that the sheep man on the farm next to him was totally indifferent toward his sheep. Now I want to close with this because this really touched me. Here's a real story of real sheep and a bad shepherd. He cared not for the condition of his flock. His land was neglected. His poor sheep foraged for themselves as best they could, summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at barred brown fields and impoverished pastures. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only muddy and polluted water to drink. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. This shepherd writes that he could still remember seeing them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich, rich pastures on the other side. Meanwhile, their heartless shepherd seemed callous and indifferent. He ignored their needs. He couldn't have cared less. This cruel sheep man perfectly pictures the hard taskmasters of sin and Satan. No wonder Jesus said, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ready for harvest. If you open your eyes and look around, the sheep we just described, that's what's out there. And they're staring through the fence at green pastures, people with peace, people with joy, people with purpose, people with destiny, people with life. And they're starving. And they're saying, how'd you get it? Where'd you get it? We say, the good shepherd. The reason I look the way I look and walk the way I walk and am the way I am is I've got a good shepherd and you don't. Your shepherd is sin and Satan and they're destroying you. They don't care about you. But my shepherd loves you with an everlasting love. And if you'll give your life to him, he will feed you in pastures of tender grass. He will lead you to the still waters. He will bless your life. When we look, this is what we see, hungry, weak, diseased, and desperate sheep looking for a true shepherd. David is simply echoing what the Lord Jesus said of himself in John 10. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it and devours it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand, Jesus said, and doesn't care anything for the sheep. But not so with the good shepherd. He said, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus knows your name. He knows your address. He knows your thoughts. He knows your wants and your needs. He knows your DNA and your genetic makeup. He knows what he's designed you to do. He knows everything about you from the beginning to the end. And he loves you. And he laid down his life. Jesus said, my sheep know me and I know them. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's the summation of verse 1. I am completely satisfied with his management of my life. 
He is the true shepherd from whom no trouble is too great as he cares for his flock. He will, if necessary, be on the job 24 hours a day to see that I am properly cared for. He will feed me, water me, and lead me to green pastures of tender grass. No matter what I experience on this earth, He is sufficient for me. Amen. Now next time, He makes me to lie down in green pastures and beside the still waters. Can we stand together? You know, folks, I, I share with you about the second half of Hebrews 11, because here's my concern, that in a lot of churches and in Western Christianity, the people of God are not in any way prepared to suffer. It's just supposed to be some, some love boat cruise where everything goes great and there's hardly a ripple, and we just go through life wealthy and rich and no problems and no cares, and so that when persecution comes, the sheep are not prepared. And I want you to know, I'm not going to lie to you. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You may be persecuted in a way for your faith that you've never thought about. And you may go through some tough times where you get up and what, what do you have there on the table? Cream of wheat. And what do you have at night? Hamburger helper. And I don't want you to think that you don't have faith. Sometimes God will take you through a tough time so you'll learn. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I want you to be prepared to pay a price for your faith, but to be able to say, that's okay. He's enough for me. Amen? He's enough. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the blessing of God tonight. Thank you that you are our shepherd. Now with our heads bowed, would you take a moment? And if you've not settled the issue and said, Lord, I don't want you just to be my savior, but I want you to be my shepherd. Would you talk to him for a minute about it right now? Just say, Lord, I yield my life to you to be my shepherd. 365 days a year, my shepherd. In Jesus' name. For him.